When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and its lore. I am Austin, otherwise known as Teacup, and I'm one of your hosts for this podcast. And I'm Shelby, or SheCup, and I'm your other host for this show. And we are here to talk about a probably very anticipated and very requested episode. Yeah, I don't know if it's anticipated. I sure hope so. This is a topic I um, was pretty excited to to dive into. This is actually our last Creatures episode. It's not the last episode in Season 4, but it is the last creature that we're going to be talking about this season. Yeah, but are you ready? I am. I just want to say, I know this season has been short. We will revisit this season probably time and time again. We've got one for sure planned to revisit this one with a whole and a whole another list of creatures. Um, and that'll probably be a short episode or a short season as well. So if you feel like, oh man, there's so many that y'all haven't talked about, that's true, but we'll revisit this. So you'll just have to be patient. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's dive right in. So obviously dragons are very large and very powerful animals that have wings, scales, and some kind of a breath weapon, though the type of breath weapon typically changes depending on what kind of dragon it is. And we'll get into that a bit later, but I just wanted to give a broad overview in case anyone here doesn't know what a dragon is. So let's dive into fun facts. So For a game series titled Dragon Age, 
There are remarkably few dragons throughout the series. While Inquisition does have quite a few more, there's only one, you can argue two, dragons in all of the base game of Dragon Age Origins. Obviously the High Dragon at the Temple of Andraste and the Archdemon. Um, um, there's three. What's the third one? Um, a certain Witch of the Wild. That's an ability. It's she's not like Morgan's ability to shapeshift. I don't really count that as a real dragon. I'm not talking about Morgan. I don't count Flemeth either. So I thought I thought you were gonna say the dragon from Awakening, and I was ready with my rebuttal because I said base game of origins. But there is a dragon in Awakening, which we'll also spoiler. Talk about. Jeez, it's it's a game that's been out for like. 13 years if you're mad about a spoiler for a game that's been out for 13 years i need you to check yourself into rehab um or some of us just haven't played it you know no that's that's absolutely fair but that's also on you so yeah anyway my second fun fact is that the scientific study of the dragon family is called draconology. Those are my only two fun facts. Wow. I know. I was a little disappointed. The Kinari worshiping dragons doesn't come in. Why is they don't really worship dragons? Yeah, that's inaccurate. <laughs> You're generalizing. <laughs> Shocker. What's new? So are you ready to get into the actual lore and content? I am. All right. So we're going to talk about the whole origin and history of dragons a little bit, which is kind of um, unknown, unclear. So a little bit of this will be um, speculation. But according to the Silent Grove comic book series, it claims that in the time before the veil came about, so in the time of the ancient elves, dragons ruled the skies. So the sky was their domain. Now, now, typically, dragons prefer to live in old ruins and caves and places that are really far away from people, but still give them room to move around. I think that makes complete sense. Think about the places we find dragons in Dragon Age, at the tops of mountains, in old ruins, like in Crestwood, mm -hmm. in the middle of a meadow, in the forest, etc. These are all isolated places that are still fairly close to food sources and um, other things like that. So in the Steel Age, this is really when dragons and how they exist in Thetis begin to change because in the Steel Age, humans really started to take it upon themselves to like destroy the places that dragons would naturally find themselves um, basically to discourage them from nesting close to where humans have settled. So this then fell out of practice in later centuries because of the rise of the Navarran dragon hunters. Now, if you remember Cassandra Pentagast from Inquisition, her family was pretty famous for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is because her family, they were a family of dragon hunters. Now, 
at the end of the Blessed Age, which is the age right before the Dragon Age, most people were pretty unified that dragons had been extinct for several centuries, possibly longer. But in at the end of the Blessed Age, the appearance of a high dragon caused the divine, who was divine Faustine II, to name the Dragon Age the Dragon Age. Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. And, you know, I don't know how true this is. And so I didn't put it in the fun facts, but it has been said. I've seen this story repeated multiple times in videos on Twitter, all kinds of places. So I don't know the validity of this, but I have heard it said that they finished or were almost finished with Origins and they realized they had a game named Dragon Age and there wasn't a single dragon in it. And so they had to like go back and add in the high dragon in Haven to compensate for like the obvious lack of dragons in a game titled Dragon Age. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that story repeated several times and it just really makes me laugh out loud like a lot. I want to be, go back in time, if that's true, I want to go back in time and be in the writer's room when someone just like sheepishly raises their hand and just goes, we don't have any dragons. I actually don't want to be in their writer's room. I want to be in the room with like the head of Dragon Age or the head of Bioware at the time when their like lead writer or whomever had to go to them and be like, so, um... There aren't any dragons in the game, and we have to go back and add that in. <laughs> like, I want to be in the room where you broke the news to whomever was the lead at that time. To but, the boss boss? Yeah, the boss boss. I want to see their reaction. Maybe I don't want to see their reaction. I don't know. Let's move on. So we've talked about humans, especially humans, having hostility toward dragons that's not always been the case there have been dragon cults as we've seen in game actually um, there have been quite a few different dragon cults that have been known for an almost fanatic devotion to their specific dragons and this includes humans a lot of times we think okay this is human lore this is elven lore and they don't necessarily connect but in this time both humans, elves, um, even Canari, they've all revered dragons at different times. So we're talking about different groups of people, not necessarily like elves versus humans or whatever. So some examples of this include the worship of the old gods in Tevinter, the disciples of Andraste in Haven, led by Colgrim, the reverence that Canari have toward the dragons, and the Hakonites in um, the Frostback Basin amongst the Avar. So those are just a few examples of cultures and groups that revere dragons instead of wanting to kill them. Yeah, it's just really interesting that we've always had to fight against them. It is. Um, well, I guess you don't have to fight against the disciples of Andraste. That's true, but they also want to destroy the ashes. So it's like, why would you, unless you're playing a monster or a demon playthrough, why would you work with the disciples? I don't know. But it would be a fun twist to have an ability to ally with a dragon and fight against the people who are trying to kill the dragon. Yeah, that would be good. 
So let's talk about how they're involved in the series. We have seen dragons in almost every piece of Dragon Age content that we've ever received. So we'll just start kind of at the beginning. No, this is not really the beginning of, of chrono- chronologically, but that's okay. So in Dawn of the Seeker, which is the animated movie about Cassandra Pentagast, we meet a young teenager named Avexis. And she has been force-fed Drake blood by a group of blood mages. And this allowed her to control dragons, which we see in the movie. And then in Origins, we see a high dragon in the Frostback Mountains. You can fight it or let it be, as we've already mentioned. The lair is populated, populated with tons of drakes, dragonlings, and cultists from Haven. Apparently, you can also find a dragon in the Brazilian forest in one of the rooms of the ruins. Not a high dragon, just a regular dragon. There is also an optional puzzle in the Orzammar Palace that you can complete to come across an ancient dragon that has been caged in the throne room. This was new to me. I did not know about this quest. It just shows how much I... uh, I guess it's because I never side with Balin. I never really explore the palace that much. Well, you know, you can explore the palace if you side with Harrowmont, too. I know, but I just never... I I think it's at the point of, like, by the time I'm at that point, I've been in Orzammar and the Deep Roads for a long time, and I am just... You're tired. It's normally the last one I do, and I'm just like, okay, it's time. Let's go finish up some random side quests and then let's just let's go to lands meet i understand but the last place we see a dragon in origins is if you choose to fight flemeth like you've already mentioned as part of morgan's side quest flemeth then shapeshifts into a high dragon and Dragon Age 2, as part of the ongoing saga of the Bone Pit, Hawk can fight a mature dragon, I think in Act 2, and then a high dragon in Act 3. In Until We Sleep, Taventer Magister Aurelian Titus has been using the blood of King Merrick Theron to fuel his own ambitions of controlling the Fade. Titus believes that he can do this using Merrick's blood because, spoiler alert, Merrick's blood contains the power of a great dragon. And that's all explained in that comic. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, definitely go read that comic. We'll talk more about that story a little bit later today. And then in Inquisition, the Inquisitor can choose to battle 10 different high dragons throughout Thetis. There are two additional dragons in the Frostback Basin DLC and in Trespasser. And those dragons are the Hacken dragon and Atashi. And of course, we can give an honorable mention to Corypheus's dragon and Morrigan's ability to shapeshift. And also the dragon that if you don't let Morrigan drink from the well... You befriend a dragon at the altar. Let's talk about the types of dragons we see in Inquisition, and then we'll go to our break after that. So in Inquisition, I feel like I have to give a disclaimer a little bit because dragons are changed a little bit from Origins into into Inquisition. They are typically a lot more colorful, and we meet a lot more kinds of dragons in inquisition they no longer all look the same Um, we meet a total of 12 different types of high dragons um, throughout inquisition 
So I'm just going to mention um, those kinds. So in the hinterlands, we meet the Ferelden Frostback. In Crestwood, we meet the Northern Hunter. In the Western Approach, we meet the Abyssal High Dragon. In the Exalted Plains, we meet the Gamorden Stormrider. In the Emerald Graves, this one's my favorite, we see the Greater Mistral. In the Empreze Duleon, we see a lot. We meet the Hivernal, the Vinsomer, the Kaltenzan, I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly, and the Highland Ravager. In the Hissing Wastes, we meet the Sandy Howler. In the Frostback Basin, we meet Hacken Winter's Breath. And then in the Darvarad in Trespasser, we meet Atashi. I also think that, and I haven't actually tried this, but there apparently, I've heard rumors that there's a second dragon fight in the Frostback Basin after you fight ha- Hacken Winter's Breath. Really? Yes. It's a little kind of power gimme, but I love your four crafting materials. I hate the orange tint that dragon bone gives your weapons. So there are two other tier four medals that you can get in the in the Frostback Basin. The first is um, it's not blue vitriol, but it's another thing that you can loot from Fade Rips. And then the other one is Ice Dragon Bones, which you can get from Hacken's Corpse. And when I looked on the wiki, when I was looking at the guide, it said there's an optional dragon fight where you can also grab more uh, dragon bones. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that, and I didn't see it in my research. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That just means I'm not familiar with it. So yeah. if you're out there and you've done both of the dragon fights in in the Frostback DLC, uh, hit us up. Let us know, because I am unaware. Well, Shelby, is it time for our mid-break? It is time for our mid-break. Yes, that's right. I stopped you to tell you that I'm an idiot. Whew! Thank the maker you know already. Now I can stop worrying, I'll be found out. Do try to have fun, dear. You could have been one of the Chargers, Blackwall. You've got the stature, the attitude, and you'd be my boss. Hey, I'm a great boss. I'm a firm believer in No Pants Fridays. I'd rather fight for a cause. Hey, No Pants Fridays is a cause. So I was wrong about the dragon. There is a partially hidden high dragon skull north of the or the canyon camp in the Frostback Basin. So you just get materials then. It's not necessarily like another dragon fight. No. Gotcha. So welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things about the podcast, but not necessarily the lore of the podcast. And so first and foremost, I want to thank our patrons, all of our patrons, uh, and then specifically I want to thank our first patrons, which is Lisa M., Genesis, and Derek B. Also a special thank you for our Divine Tier patrons who get read out on every show, and that's Divine Tier patron Kit. And then a super, super thank you to our Nug King, Louis H., who gets thanked at the beginning and the end of the show. And we also have some new patrons. Brenna E., thank you to all the patrons. If you want to join us on Patreon, you can do that via the link in the episode description. You can support us at various number of tiers with a various number of benefits. Um, And if you sign up for our first Enchanter or higher, you get to come on the show with us once a month. 
where we talk about a topic that all the patrons vote on. There's still time. You can even sign up the day of the patron chat and we will let you come on to the show. Other than that, another way to hang out with us is to join us on Discord. It's a great place to talk about Dragon Age or other podcasts or anything there, the Cups podcasting and more. You can find that in the episode description. You can come hang out with us there and chat with us. It's a great place to hang out, great place to be. That link, again, is in the episode description. It's also where you can share with us your hero, hawks, or heralds. And we do have one to share today. Yes, we do. And this one comes from Azure Arrow in our Discord. And so they shared their Herald of Andraste with us. And their Herald is named Isolde Lavellen. And this Lavellen is not related to Isolde from Origins, Um, but she is a Dalish elf with a bunch of siblings and loving parents. And she went to the Conclave disguised as a mercenary. And in her memory, it was like she blinked and suddenly awoke to Cassandra accusing her of murdering the divine. After being shown the hole in the sky, Isolde agreed to help close it without any hesitation whatsoever. Once they realized they needed more power to seal the breach, Isolde and company headed to the hinterlands to do what they could to help the refugees there. Isolde returned to this area many, many times, but she doesn't visit Redcliffe until she was formally invited by Grand Enchanter Fiona. She found the situation with the mages to be dicey at best, but also held no love for the Templars. Not trusting their organization, she sided with the mages and made them full allies of the Inquisition. Though Cassandra disagreed with her decision, she respected that it had to be made. Despite their rocky start, the two women grew lots of admiration for one another, and by the end of the Inquisition, they both saw the other as one of their closest confidants. Isolde also made fast friends with Varric and Dorian. Varric was easy to be around, a comfort in the chaos. Dorian made her laugh endlessly with his quick wit and flirty remarks. Plus, he was part of the only reason she got back to their own time in one piece. And then there was Solus. Isolde peppered him with questions endlessly. Looking for her, she he seemed willing enough to share about his knowledge and his journeys within the Fade. Slowly, she fell for his intelligence, charm, and unique outlook on the world. And he fell for her, for her curiosity, grace, and gentle heart. After being made Inquisitor, Isolde tracked down the Wardens to Adamant Fortress, went through the Fade again. She had to make the difficult choice to leave someone behind. She chose to leave Stroud. Seeing as the Wardens of the South no longer had a leader, brought them into the folds of the Inquisition as a temporary measure against Corypheus. At Halam Shrawl, after extensive lessons from Josephine, she managed to reunite Celine and Briala. She sparred Florian, the Knight of the Ball, and later decided to put her wiles to good use by recruiting her for the Inquisition. While discovering the Temple of Mithal, Isolde chose to respect the rituals and allied herself with the ancient elves. When it came time to decide who would drink from the well, Isolde determined that if it had to be done, then it should be her. While she and Morgan got along decently, she just couldn't justify letting a human take that power. The well was her heritage, and she knew herself to be just as capable of a mage as Morrigan. After defeating Corypheus, Isolde's life became a flurry of meetings and bureaucratic chaos. Cassandra left to become the Divine, though she would still come and travel when she ran out of training dummies, and everyone slowly scattered to the winds. 
By the time the exalted council rolled around, Isolde was exhausted, but she was overjoyed to see everyone in one place again. And honestly, Vivian's spa day really helped. When she was finally reunited with Solus, she was hurt and confused as to why he wouldn't bring her with him. She agreed with his goal of restoring the elves and wanted to help, which is why she chose to redeem him if it's possible. She deeply loved Solus, but if there's anything she knows about him at this point, it's that his plans never go how he wants them to. She hopes to change his heart once more and help him find a better way to restore their people without destroying the world this time. It's partially for this reason that she chose to transition the Inquisition into a peacekeeping force as the efforts against love will be stronger. She trusts herself, Cassandra, and Liliana to ferret out any potential spies and avoid corruption. Though this does not leave her without worry as to what might happen if one of them is gone. For now, she will do what she can to be a pillar of hope in the days to come. Thank you so much, Azur Arrow, for sharing your Herald of Andraste. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. And you too can share your Hero Hawker Herald. You can jump onto our Discord, shoot them to us on Twitter, or e- email them to us at DALorecast. And we will read them on this episode of the show. We love reading these. We love reading about your choices and especially your reasoning for why your various PCs made the choices they did. And so the last way you can support us is by leaving us reviews on Apple or Spotify. So if you leave us a five-star review, we will read it out on the show and we have one to read today. And so this comes from Black Widow. Oh, that makes sense. See, I'm not good with letters. As Tom Robot says... Words is hard. Yes. yes, words is hard. So they say, I love this podcast, five star. I've been listening to this podcast for a very long time, and I'm so glad to have it. The hosts are fun, enthusiastic, and stay on topic. I really love that they bring the books and comics into discussion, and I can't wait to continue to deep dive to dive even deeper. If you enjoy Dragon Age, you will adore this podcast. Thank you so much, Black Widow. Thank you for the review. And yeah, if you're not in the Discord, come join the Discord and hang out with us and talk about Dragon Age with us. So yeah, that's all I got for the middle of the show. All right, well, let's get back to it. Beg that I succeed, for I have seen the throne of the gods, and it was empty. Your glibness does you no credit. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is... So let's talk about the dragon family. Now, earlier I talked about where we see dragons and I did that totally out of order. I'm doing this in order. This is, this is in order for how like their life stages. So obviously they begin as eggs. Um, Dragons lay eggs. That's pretty obvious. Dragonlings is the next stage and a dragonling is a newly hatched dragon. They are small, wingless, and born in high quantities, but only a few survive to maturity. They are roughly the size of a deer. They are also very hungry and tend to stay with their mothers before venturing out into the world. The next stage is a drake, 
And drakes are actually just male dragons. So male dragons never grow and develop into high dragons with wings, etc. So once a male dragon progresses past the dragonling stage, they become a drake and they stay in the stage and they seek out the layer of a high dragon once they've reached maturity. They also want to mate with dragons. And so once they do that, the drake is monogamous for the rest of its life. The dragon is not monogamous to the drake only, um, but the drake, it like it once it finds a dragon, that's its partner forever. And then the dragon is the next stage, which is obviously a female only. And they clearly take longer to reach adulthood than drakes do. They do undergo a metamorphosis at the beginning of adulthood when they grow their wings. They travel huge distances as well, looking for a place to create their nest once they've grown their wings. And then obviously these are going to be the ones that are most encountered by humans because they're out and they're looking for a place to create their nest. So the next stage is a high dragon. This is, again, only a female. Um, and a high dragon is not quite an ancient female dragon, but at least one of great reverence. I kind of think of it as like a matriarch in um, Mass Effect with the Asari. Like they're at that stage where they're in maturity. They're not necessarily like all elderly or dying, but they are mature dragons um and high dragons are the most powerful of all dragon kind um this like this is the top for most dragons there are stages after this but this is this is the top for most they also rarely leave their lairs and they prefer to spend their time sleeping mating and living off prey that the drakes bring back to the nest this is why we don't see dragons like flying in the sky all the time because they genuinely are like lazy and don't want to leave once they found a nest they're like well i've done my job like why do i have to leave um but about once per century, the high dragon will prepare to lay new eggs. She does this by taking to the skies. She will fly all over the world, eat hundreds, if not thousands of animals, and then finally return to the lair once she's eaten enough to lay all of her, lay all of her eggs. And that's the high dragon. So, up until the point where we got the Silent Grove comic, that was the end. But in the Silent Grove comic, we learned about something called a great dragon. And this is an ancient form of a dragon, different from high dragons. They were apparently active in the time of King Kalanhad Theron. And they are the rarest of their kind, though it seems that all but two great dragons have died out. And then the one remaining, one of the ones remaining, is referred to as the Dragon Queen. We don't know a lot about what makes them different from high dragons other than the fact that they are different. I don't know if this will be something that's brought back into like the forefront of canon or not, um, but I did want to include it because it is another possibility. Um, it's really interesting because, at least up until this point, the dragon aging cycle very much kind of follows D&D's life cycle of dragons. 
And so there is something that is past. So a high dragon is basically the equivalent of an ancient dragon, an adult or ancient dragon in D&D, which are some of the most strongest. But there is a step above that that's called a great worm dragon. And they're the largest dragons. They're super old. They are powerful, but their power starts to decline after the great worm stage. So I'm wondering if like a great dragon, the biggest difference is just the sheer amount of age because most dragons, as far as I understand it, rarely ever make it very far in the high dragon stage because of dragon hunters. Yeah, like I, I don't know. Um, I really genuinely don't know the answer to that. Um, I looked in the lore like for Dragon Age life expectancy or dragons in Dragon Age life expectancy, and I couldn't really find that statistic anywhere. So I'm not sure. Mm. Mm. So are you ready to talk about some other dragon related creatures that are not necessarily in the line of the life stage of a dragon? Yeah. So the first and most obvious one I think we need to talk about is an archdemon, right? They are not technically high dragons. They look like them, but they're not. Um, it, it can it can be compared to like a blighted high dragon, but even that's not quite accurate because the archdemons are already in the deep roads and they are awoken by the dark spawn that are like digging for them. Um, and that's what initiates a blight. So they're, they're not really blighted high dragons. They're a little bit more complicated than that though. We don't really know like the exact ins and outs of what, like how arch demons became arch demons. Like we genuinely don't know. It's just like, we know that they exist kind of. Um, but what we do know is that they are significantly more powerful and more intelligent than regular high dragons. They also serve as the mastermind of the darkspawn horde while the blight is ravaging Thetis. And then we also know that the arch demons are the ancient dragon gods of old Tevinter. They each have an ancient Tevinter magister that was their high priest. So, for example, Corypheus was the high priest to the old god Dumont. Now, I wondered, this is not canon, I wondered if maybe the arch demon and the old gods were once great dragons. But this is unclear. We don't know. I just wondered and hypothesized that for myself. Right. It's unclear to me, at least, into Venter, like, theology and mythology, if their gods were, in fact, dragons, or a dragon was just a form that those gods could take. Yeah, I think that's been intentionally left unclear. Uh, to give the writers room to develop the lore further. Which, if they're in the form of dragons, that would imply that at some level, dragons have the ability to communicate, at least on some level, because the Tevinter Magisters communicated with their gods. 
Right. Yeah. Again, super unclear. Yeah. Or at least they claim they did. Uh-huh. Right. So I've got three more other creatures that are related to dragons, but are not technically dragons. So the first one is a dragon thrall. And this is just basically a normal dragon that has been corrupted by the darkspawn taint. It's pretty similar to blight wolves. Um, you can encounter a few of them in the battle of Denerim and in awakening. I don't think we really see them outside of origins though. I'm sure that they exist. But they are different from the Archdemon because they're not high dragons. They're smaller dragons. Um, And like a high dragon, if it was blighted, I guess, I don't know what it would become, but it wouldn't become a dragon thrall. It would be something else, probably with a new name. Um, and then the next one is wyverns. Now, wyverns are part of the dragon family, but they're pretty different from drakes and dragonlings. So... And they also have their own folklore and lore behind them in Orle. So they're just going to get their own episode entirely in season six. Mm -hmm. Wyverns are a specific class of like what's considered in D&D. It's called dragon kin. That's the overarching like theme of like dragon kin. So dragons, wyverns, dragonborns, kobolds, all of these are dragon kin. Not necessarily. Yeah, what's up? So... If that definition was also in Dragon Age, would Kunari also be Dragonkin? Allegedly. Because Kunari are said to have had dragon blood in them, and that's in their mythology, yes. Um, because that's how Dragonborn are. They have dragon ancestry, like, way back. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, the difference, like, dragons and Dragonborns are as alike as much as, like, dogs and wolves are right right um and so but wyverns are not like they are in dragon age wyverns are specifically it's a type of kind of like dragon-like creature but they don't have four legs they only have two back legs and then they have kind of like a bat like bat-like wings and like claws that mm -hmm. do that whereas a true dragon in at least according to a lot of mythology and lore, is basically a long lizard with four legs that has wings sprouting out and a tail and breathes fire and does all of that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So you got one more thing? This is just kind of biology. Only dragons and high dragons can breathe some type of breath weapon. Mm -hmm. That's right, right? So like the drakes and other things, they don't breathe fire or anything. I don't think so. If they can, it's like piddly. Yeah. So the last one that I have is the Vargest, which is a distant relative of both wyverns and dragons. Um, according to Frederick of Seralt, who you can meet in um, the Western approach, he's the one that sends you on the quest to kill the high dragon, blah, blah, blah. He claims that it was believed that Varghests were a spirit who had manifested into the world. Um, but the Syrian tribe, in addition, they are the predecessors of Orle. They have an ancient legend that says that people who are hunted by a Varghest have committed great wrongs against their kind. That's very, very interesting. So, so there's one area that we encounter Varghests in if i remember or maybe two 
I think we encounter them in the Exalted Plains, and we encounter them maybe a couple in... No, I thought we encountered them in the... Uh... Oh, the name is escaping me. Where Frederick of Seralt is. The Western Approach. Western Approach, sorry. The Western Approach. Um, I can't remember. But it's very interesting to me, at least, in the Exalted Plains that we encounter them so much because of all the areas. The Exalted Plains are where the most kind of demon incursions are of any area that you encounter. Okay. So this whole thing that they're spirits who have manifested into the world is interesting to me because mm -hmm. we encounter them in a heavily spirit-infested demon-infested area. That's true. I don't remember seeing them in the Exalted Plains, but I take your word on it. It's before you get to, like, so if you are going to the area where you find the Snowy White Wyvern and the High Dragon in the Exalted Plains, those kind of marshlands, mm -hmm. they're there. I'm pretty sure. Gotcha. So let's talk about a few, like, special dragons. I guess is that that's the best way to describe it. So in Dragon Age Awakening, we meet a special dragon called a spectral dragon. She's often referred to as the queen of the Black Marsh. She was once a very large high dragon that pretty much decimated the entire village of Black Marsh and killed a ton of people in the process. But when the new Orlesian Baroness heard about all of this, she went to the dragon alone. Apparently, after a short period of time and a loud noise, the Baroness returned to the village and the High Dragon was never heard from again. When the Warden Commander returns or travels to the Black Marsh, they can find five missing dragon bones, return them to the skull at the entrance, and then find a fade barrier that will dissipate and lead the way to the Queen of the Black Marsh. She then manifests as a spectral high dragon with lightning-based attacks. Once defeated, she gives the same kind of loot and an ancient dragon bone, which can be made into a powerful weapon. So she's basically like a magical dragon. We've never seen this since. Who knows if we'll see it ever again. Um, but that's the info. So do you basically take the dragon bone to Wade and be like, I want a weapon? And he's like, what kind of weapon do you want? Yeah. Awesome. Good to know. Yeah, since you're like supposedly playing Awakening, huh? Hey, I wanted to play more this week, but it has been very busy and I have not had time to stream. That's okay. So the next one is the Red Lyrium Dragon. And Corypheus's dragon is not an archdemon, even though they lead you to believe that it is, but it's a red lyrium dragon. It was originally a high dragon that was infused with red lyrium, which just feels very icky to me. Um, but this caused its shape to change a little bit and become a little bit more monstrous, similar to the archdemon. It's interesting to me. This is very interesting to me. First, we know red lyrium contains the blight in it. Two, we know that dragon's blood is the key component in creating demon slaying runes in Inquisition. So you could assume that dragon blood has anti-fade or anti-demon qualities in it. 
the blight does have some kind of connection to the fade and corruption and I would say spirits or demons or something going on in there. So it's interesting to me that I think dragons are somewhat connected to magic in their own way. They are oftentimes in other lore strongly connected to magic, but it would make sense to me kind of like a dwarf that they have some, therefore they have some kind of like resistance to magic and possession, which is why like eye dragons can't just be made into dragon thralls, but having such something that's concentrated as red lyrium would turn them into something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but I definitely think the theory is fascinating um, for sure. So we just have two more and then we can get into our side character. So the next one is the guardian of Mythal, which you mentioned earlier. And if the, the Inquisitor drinks from the well, a high dragon, which is named the Guardian of Mythal, must be fought to complete the main quest, the final piece. Afterwards, the dragon will side with the Inquisitor against Corypheus and will challenge his Red Lyrium dragon. The Guardian of Mythal is killed during the final confrontation. Now, this last one is perhaps the most interesting to me, and this is Hack and Winter's Breath. During the Divine Age, which is the first real age, a powerful high dragon was bound and forced to serve as the vessel for the Avar god Hakan Winter's Breath. We'll talk about this more in a few episodes, but Avar gods, they're all spirits. So basically a powerful high dragon was bound to a spirit. That spirit is called Hakan Winter's Breath. The dragon was then sealed by a Meriden within the old temple in the Frostback Basin for ages, from the Divine Age, the first, to the Dragon Age, the ninth. The ancient beast was finally freed in 941 Dragon, and he was freed by Thane Gerd Harrifson, who is the leader of the reformed Jaws of Hacken. And then once Hacken was freed, you confront and slay him as the Inquisitor. I think this whole concept, I know we often um, talk about if there is one of the three Inquisition DLCs that has the least lore implications, it is the Jaws of Hacken DLC, which I tend to agree with that statement. But this in itself is so lore heavy. Um, and it's very, it's a very interesting concept. And I do hope we get more info about the Avar in DAD or maybe even in some other um, Dragon Age content. Um, I will say about the Jaws of Hacken, I recommend playing all three DLCs for Dragon Age just because they are very well done and they're a lot of fun and they offer a good challenge because they scale with you. So, like, if you go into each one at level 27, the max level you're going to fight level 27 enemies and it is no joke even it's on so casual even so on casual di difficulty it is no joke um so but i will say this about the jaws of hacken if you haven't played it i highly recommend going and playing it and playing a daglish inquisitor when you do so because the amount of extra dialogue you get for being a Dalish Inquisitor adds so much lore around the start of the first Inquisition 
And I actually level up and do that DLC before I ever fight Corypheus. Just cosign all of that, 100%. Mm-hmm. So do you have any more thoughts about dragons? Generally, anything else you want to say about them that we've maybe missed? I don't have anything. So we can go on to our side character. Okay. So today's side character is Yavanna. This may be unknown to those of you who have not read the Silent Grove comic series. She's a very, very interesting character. Um, character with a lot of implications behind her. So if you haven't, if you've never met this character, you're like, eh, I'm not really that interested. Just give me a few minutes and it'll get interesting. And that's because Yavanna is a witch of the wilds. That should be familiar to you. She lives in the Talari swamps of Antiva. And Yavanna appears in many of the Antivan legends. It's even alleged that Queen Madrigal made a deal with Yavanna in order to save her son, Prince Aladio. Apparently, the witch had foretold Queen Madrigal's death. Aladio later grew ill. Madrigal rode into the forest to find and challenge Yavanna. Madrigal was later found with four swords pierced through her heart. This should sound familiar to you because we've discussed it on the show before, but this occurred in 599 and was the cause of the name of the next age, the Steel Age. Other legends about Yavanna claim that she defended the city of Selene, I think I'm pronouncing that right, in Antiva during the first Canary War by calling forth a dragon. And yet others believe that Yavanna prophesied the return of the dragons just before the beginning of the Dragon Age. So while this is all very interesting, right, um, I think what's more interesting is Yavanna's family. Now, I said she's a witch of the wilds. And isn't it fitting that she might be related to the other witch of the wilds that we know of? Yes, because she is the daughter of Flemeth and the sister of Morrigan. She also rescued Merrick Theron from the Antivan Crows prison. And this is all discussed in the Silent Grove comic and discussed with Alistair himself. Yavanna's goal in the Silent Grove is to revive and preserve these great dragons that I mentioned earlier. And in her swamps, her grove is a safe haven for all dragons, especially great dragons. Isabella kind of makes fun of her for this, actually. And Yavanna retorts back by saying, the blood of the dragons is the blood of the world. Now, I thought we should take a moment and talk about lore implications of that quote, because it really stuck out to me. The blood of the dragons is the blood of the world. We've talked ad nauseum on this show about lyrium and about how lyrium can be referred to as blood. So could there be lyrium in the blood of the great dragons? Could that be what makes them different from the high dragons? What do you think about this? I think it's highly interesting. And now I want to see Cassandra fight a great dragon. Because if they have lyrium, that's the best way to prove it is to bring Cassandra because she's going to know if they have lyrium in their blood or not. I mean, that's true, but I wouldn't want a great dragon to die. No, I think it's possible that they have lyrium in their blood. I also think it's possible, but again, this is all speculation. We don't know for sure. 
But Yavanna goes on to tell the group that Flemeth is the one that saved Merrick's life during the Ferelden Rebellion. And he promised her a favor, basically. And Flemeth called in that favor. And that favor was to go to Yavanna when Merrick's children came of age. This is because Yavanna couldn't complete her task by herself. Varric questions this, like, I don't believe that this is true. And Yavanna explains that she's not the one that killed Merrick. She simply needed his blood because his blood contains the blood of King Callanhad the Great, which also contained dragon blood. And she refuses, refuses to elaborate anymore. In the end, Yavanna attempts to get Alistair to join her cause to awaken the last of the great dragons, but he refuses and kills her. And that's most of what we know about Yavanna's story. We'll talk more about Merrick's blood. Um, I don't want to give too much more because we'll go into some more major speculations on Merrick and his blood later, but this is Yavanna. I find her very interesting when compared to Morrigan. What very, you- very, very interesting. It's really seeing kind of a dark side of Alistair in this story a little bit too. That, And I think he kills out of grief for, you know, a father he never knew. But it's just interesting to me. I agree. Um, I think that a lot of it is grief. It also, I headcanon this. I think it makes complete sense for Alistair to do this when he was romanced by the hero of Ferelden and the hero of Ferelden asked him to do the dark ritual because in Inquisition, he, if your hero lives, he says something similar to the hero of Ferelden is on a dark path. And so if he's romanced by a hero of Ferelden, I think that this, and hardened too, I think that this makes sense. Um, you only get that that conversation if he's a great warden though. And in the, the comic, he's the king. But just the correlation between that, I think makes total sense to me. I don't love it for his character. I want him to be happy and stuff. Um, but I, I, I see that correlation there. Right, definitely. And I wonder like, this has big, depending on your world state, this has big implications for Kieran. But about Yavanna, it's very interesting to me of like, Yavanna to me fits the definition of a witch of the wild way more than Plymouth or Morgan ever does, at least presented in the lore to us. Mm-hmm. Like she's mysterious, she's interfering in events, she is at- attached to tragedy and everything like that. Now granted, there's a lot of you know, tales and stories attached to Flemeth that we don't know a lot of like what exactly is related to Flemeth in that, but definitely more than Morgan. I don't think Morgan is really interested in being a witch of the wild at all. I agree. Because if she was like wanting to be of the wilds, like she would not have wanted to leave the Korkari wilds to join the hero. She would not have wanted to go to Orle and like, serve Empress Selene. She would not have wanted to join the Inquisition and live at Skyhold amongst a ton of people. So I agree with you. Like 
Morgan, I think, is much more motivated by people than she wants to admit. Um, and so, you know, you can't really be a people person. <laughs> Not that Morgan is a people person, but like you can't be you can't be motivated by people and then live around none. Right, exactly. And I think that this is very enlightening about kind of one, that not all of Flemeth's children die. She doesn't take all of their life force. And two, it lets light into this and really kind of puts a lot of light into like, I normally do not let Morgan drink from the well for a lot of reasons. But now I'm thinking like, would anybody of origins besides the hero of Ferelden let Morgan drink from the well of sorrows? I think Alistair would because he hates her. Back to Yovana. I think it's very interesting and I really need to finish the Silent Grove character or comics. And just, you know, something is iffy when Beric doesn't believe a crazy story. That's a good point. That is a really good point. So I don't really trust her, but I'd like to see more of her. I mean, we know that we know that killing a witch of the wild doesn't always mean that they're dead. That's also true. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, I think that we can wrap up. So a special thank you to our Nug King patron. Also, as we're recording this, this was the release date for Dragon Age Absolution. We will be releasing content around there as bonus episodes. So be on the lookout for that if you kind of logged in for this episode and be like, well, why are they talking about Absolution? Those episodes are coming. So be on the lookout for that. And they won't be bonus episodes or they won't be regular episodes. They'll be bonus episodes because we don't want to give spoilers. We want to give people time to watch it. So they'll be released as bonus episodes. Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Well, do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. 
but you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller.